This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 142 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we present you with Racing Future, the future of racing in the U.S. with Monty and Ada Gates. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We have a bit of a sort of serious conversation today, but it really does affect a lot of horses and a lot of industry that's been around a lot of years. So it, it I think does. we got to delve in. It does. Mm-hmm. It's serious, but I think it's the first conversation that a lot of horse folks will be, have had that's hopeful. I think this is kind of a, it might be one of those light bulb watershed kind of moments for the American racing industry. Well, I hope so. What's interesting about this is that I recorded this with Monty, with dad, a few weeks ago. And since then, the jockey club met for its 67th Congress. They have a big meeting that they put everything on the table once a year. And it's actually been around, the, the, the jockey club has been around for 125 years, but they've been meeting to better the industry for 67 years. And I think it's easy to say that this 67th meeting was probably one of the more raucous, um, made some big major decisions that they've ever had. I think that was actually admitted in the in the meeting. I watched the entire thing that was recorded and it was a couple of hours long. And I think that for me, it was interesting because a lot of what is in this interview that we're about to play for everybody has been covered. And and we, we did this a little tongue in cheek, dad and I, Monty and I, because I have for my friend Nellie, she gave me a great suggestion to to look to the future first, find where you want it to be, the setting, and then work backwards so that we know what to do today to start making changes that would be ideal five years from now. Yes, and that's that's kind of how it went. Which, and I was there to record this one, so it was a lot of fun to – it's almost like sitting in, in – like a little flash flash forward versus a flashback. So that was a lot of fun to listen to. I really enjoyed it. So I think we should just get right to it because it's a fascinating conversation and a fascinating way to, to present it. And we're going to do that right after we hear this from one of the users of Omega Fields. You're more than just a horse and rider. You're a team. And Omega Fields delivers the science and performance you need to hold up your end of the bargain. Omega Fields creates, discovers, and shares products that naturally bring the best out in the horses we love. Here's what Crystal Founds has to say about her experience with Omega Horseshine. When I began building my career as a trainer and professional horsewoman, I knew that only the best would do for the equines in my care. Over the years, I've spent countless hours researching to ensure that I'm recommending and utilizing the equine industry's most cutting-edge products. I look for tack, fly spray, supplements, etc. that are made with love 
and created with top-notch technology, quality, and whenever possible, sustainability. I raised my first foal in 2013 and adopted my first OTTB in 2014. Providing the best nutrition and finding what worked for them as individuals was quite the journey. After much trial and error and varying feeding routines, I discovered Omega Horseshine. I had tried multiple biotin products that had good reviews, but just didn't produce the results I was looking for. Within 30 days of being on Horseshine, I watched my geldings transform before my eyes. After three to four months, they were as shiny as dream horses. Their manes and tails grew longer. My thoroughbred became as beefy as I knew he could be. And to this day, he looks like a warm blood. They're able to maintain a barefoot lifestyle, even under work, handle adjustments in terrain and seasons, and show a healthy amount of hoof growth between farrier visits. I highly recommend Omega Horseshine and can't wait to try more Omega Fields products. Monty Roberts was named as Horse and Hounds Magazine's top 50 all-time greatest horseman. He's the creator of the world-renowned and revolutionary equine training technique called Join Up, and he travels the world demonstrating that nonviolent, gentle training creates breakthrough performance as you partner with your horse. Monty grew up on a working horse farm as a firsthand witness to traditional and often violent methods of horse training, the breaking of the spirit with an abusive hand. Rejecting that, he went on to win 11 World's Championships in the show ring. Today, Monty's goal is to share his message that violence is never the answer. Monty is credited with launching the first of its kind, Equus Online University, an interactive online lesson site that is the definitive learning tool for violence-free training. Well, welcome. Welcome back. Monty Roberts, Dad, how are you? I'm fine. Good. You know, we've been prepping for this for a, a few days, and I'm really excited about it, but I haven't given you the full set the scene yet. But, you know, I think a lot of people have been writing us and calling us and concerned about horse racing. And so it's a big, fat topic right now, as as anybody, at least on the West Coast, can contend, and, and most around the world really are talking about this. But, but it doesn't always jive with your followers. A lot of people think of you as completely devoid of some of the negatives that people are hurling at the racing industry, deserved and undeserved, all of them. And so I thought, you know, it's time to take a breath, a little bit of a a pause and bring some of the people that can actually influence the industry, hopefully, in to give us a perspective and, you know, kind of cut down the rhetoric a little bit and give us something that we can believe in or at least gnaw on and consider. And so I wanted you to imagine for a second that it's five years from now. It's like 2025 and horse racing is loved all around the world. The whips, the twitch and other pain producing procedures are now considered like training wheels. They're like crutches for beginners. And, and, and that's for the beginners who haven't even learned the better ways yet. So given that scenario, what happened? Well, Debbie, when you first told me about this, I really didn't want to do it. I mean, making believe, you know, but then I got to thinking about it. My word, what this gives me is a chance to live to be 90. 
because we're going to go to 2025. Got to be there. And you and I are sitting down in a box seat, or maybe just the grandstand, at Santa Anita. Mm. And I'm going to speak to you in my voice as though we were really there. And I'm, I, I would like you to think about it, that the racing industry has come back, that we have seen the light, that we've done the things that we needed to do to bring racing back. And why? Why would we bring racing back? Because the horses love to race. They love to run with one another. Mother Nature said, run with your little brother. Run with your sister. Mm -hmm. Teach yourself to run to get out of the meadow before the lion comes. They love to race. And human beings love to watch them race. Mm -hmm. That's all well and good. But when we begin to twist the environment so that we ask them to do things through force. We are making a huge mistake. And people are not stupid. They finally have figured out some of the things that we've done. And it's happening right around the world. And how do I know these things? I'm 90, Debbie, now. And look at this grandstand. It's full of people. And the horses are out there. And have you noticed the jockeys aren't even carrying whips anymore? Debbie, look. Racing is back. It's incredibly exciting. I remember back, Debbie, in 1946 or 45 when I rode my first race. Because we were in a war then, and the the racing was all in the countryside. And Mm. people just bet between one another. And I was a a small boy, so I had no weight to me and I could ride. So they asked me to ride races. And I rode races from the first starting gates we had in California. Mm-hmm. And that's how far back I go. And then I watched as things were developed. Force was used. Medication was used. Whips were used. And you know that I was born to a very violent father and that I suffered under his violence. And I learned to break the chain and to find that horses, as well as people, do better when they want to do the thing we're asking, not when they're forced to do it. Right. The theme for this should be a good trainer can make a horse do almost anything he wants him to, but the great trainer can cause the horse to want to do it. Right. So, you know, I was so put down for my thoughts of nonviolence that I'm going to ask you, Debbie, to lap dissolve from that 1945-46 time to 1989 when Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II asked me to come and do a demonstration of nonviolent training asking a horse to accept its first saddle and first rider without any violence in 30 minutes. Not four to six weeks like it took for 6,000 years that we domesticated horses. And remember that horses have learned to race one another for 50 million years. Mm -hmm. 
48 or 49 million of those without any human being present. They love to run. But we owe it to them to allow them to race one another with freedom, with their choice, and not with force and violence. Mm -hmm. The queen saw what I did and she bought in and she said, this is wonderful, but Mr. Roberts, I want you to take it to the world. And I did take it to the world. 43 countries now that mm -hmm. I've demonstrated my work in and certain countries have accepted my work and certain people have and certain people have not. And I have to tell you that Scandinavia is virtually whip-free. Mm -hmm. Scandinavia really took me on. And I think it's because they were closer to my concepts. Those that were far away scoffed at me, threw me aside, mm -hmm. and went on with their violence. And not just violence, but racing horses that shouldn't be raced because they're compromised physically, and we can give them this little injection. Mm -hmm. and cause them to go on. Okay. So, so how did so it's to, it's 2025. How did the public become convinced that thoroughbred horses actually like to run? Well, one of the things that happened to me was that in 2019, way back there. Right. 6 years ago, in 2019, I went off to Australia for a man named Kennedy. And I saw the Australian scene was bubbling with energy. What is going on here? And they brought the public in, Debbie. They brought them in and they let the public own parts of horses. Yes, it isn't perfect yet. And yes, there's some unscrupulous people that are doing some things that need to be changed. But racing is exciting in Australia right now. And Mr. Kennedy said, I want it to be even better. I want to erase those things that are unscrupulous, like buying very cheap horses and then syndicating them for a lot of money and things like that. But not so much violence, and, and yet they use a whip too much. But Mr. Kennedy wants no same-day medication. He wants everything to be natural with the horses that he has. And I believe that he will succeed in Australia because I believe Australia is ready to accept, just like so Scandinavia was. Right. So it's 2025 and Australia has done the same course of action. Is that right? Yeah. It's and a global they, phenomenon. They okay. love their racing in Australia, just as we love it right here in Los Angeles, California, <laughs> all over again. Because in 2019, there went Santa Anita down the drain with problem after problem after problem because we stacked up our demands on horses and people felt silly about it. You know, 2020, we had an Olympics and a guy came out with a thing. He said, let's put a little electrified object in, in the trunks of the runners and we'll shock them with a hundred meters left to run in the race and they'll run faster. And people said, are you crazy? And he was yeah. only making a joke, of course. But there we are, whipping horses, the flight mm -hmm. animal, more sensitive than human beings. Oh, Mr. Roberts, horses don't accept pain like that. They don't feel pain like we do. No, 
right. So you watch the horse there and a little fly lands on top of his hair and he flicks his skin because he can feel it. Don't tell me they're not sensitive. They're the most sensitive animals on the face of this earth, bar the deer. Mm-hmm. And um, human beings are far less sensitive. Mm-hmm. And along comes a lady by the name of Stronic, Ms. Stronic, mm-hmm. um, Belinda Stronic, and she owns Santa Anita. And Debbie, I think that she sat down one day and said, this is enough. I am going to get it right. And I'm going to invite people to give me ideas about how we can allow these horses to race in a natural way and we can bring the public back to racing. That's what I think happened and that's why the stand is full today. And that lady was encouraged by another lady called Stacy Hancock. She was married to Arthur Hancock and Arthur Hancock's father, Bull Hancock, was one of the major breeders of the world. So it goes way, way back. And Arthur married Stacy. And Stacy said, enough's enough. And help Belinda understand the need for a reduction of the force in racing horses. Let mm-hmm. them do it because they love it. And Scandinavia okay. was, was very much uh, caused to go the way they went because of a trainer there that went to one of my demonstrations and saw that I could work just as the queen did without violence. And he turned his entire operation around and really Norway and Sweden and Denmark took a track to get all of that out of the racing. And the queen can take heart that she was responsible for that. And in Australia, you know, the horses are running longer and they're taking care of them. There's a horse called Chautauqua that has won $9 million and raced until he was seven years old. You don't see that in the United States. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the age of horses. The thing that you know happens is people follow purses and they follow money. It's It's an inevitable part of any kind of competition. So did the purses become larger in 2025, encouraging the older horses in racing? Did the purses for... Older uh, for uh, horses of racing age, older become larger. That's part of it, Debbie. And we're sitting here with a stand full of people because because of just those things. But one of the things that I remember way back in the '90s and the early 2000s, when I said, "Don't ban anything. Don't ban two-year-old mm-hmm. racing. Just don't allow them to race until their growth plates are an A." Right. And when, when they are fully mature, then they can race. When they're not mature, they can't race. That took care of it, Debbie. And the two-year-olds are racing Perfect. if they're an A. If they're old, and now, old enough. Yeah. And, 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 and they're, they're, yeah, they're mature enough. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was a big part of it. And also the purses in Australia came down for the two-year-olds and up for the older horses. We will understand more about horses and flight animals as time goes on, but at least finally we're on the right path. 
So one of the things that is sometimes difficult to watch is in the saddling paddock. I think, you know, we can watch that on TV, but we can actually go to the races and see that um, it used to be that those horses uh, would just be like kites on a string. You'd have a handler on each side and maybe a Tiffany and they look like fire breathing dragons that are ready to, to fly off at any moment. What happened to create a calm set of horses that are now in the saddling paddock? Well, what happened is that when you take away all those drugs, when you take away the force and pain in the braking process, you get horses that are more relaxed. I just got a call recently, Debbie, from Australia saying that 99% of the horses in the program that I helped um, are lying down to sleep while in fact 90% of the horses are thought to stand to sleep. But when they feel safe, they will lie down. And when they feel safe in the saddling paddock, they will walk in a relaxed way. But if they see the jockeys coming with all their whips, they get up on their toes. Right, exactly. So women, everybody knows that women are a huge percentage of horse fans, really across the globe with few exceptions. So how did you get the young women to come back to horse racing too? Like, like I know the NFL tried to get women interested in football, but that's an uphill battle. It shouldn't be an uphill battle in, in anything equestrian, but what'd you do? Of course not. But Debbie, you know that women don't want violence in their life and men tend to use their thumb on top of people or their violence in order to get what they want out of life. When you are doing what we did for 6,000 years to horses, it wasn't easy to bring the women into our industry. But today, there are, I don't know, 20, 30% of the jockeys in this 2025 are, jock- are, are, are lady jockeys. Mm-hmm. And they're doing wonderfully because there is no violence and they don't want violence. Ladies will be repulsed by it. And I know there's some ladies that are not, but the heavy percentage really don't want to hit horses or hit anybody. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the marketing campaign, you know, this is getting into the, the back end of it, but about the individual horses and how they were treated or the individual jockeys, maybe they're now more women, as you say, the expanding the story so that we really get to understand instead of calling it, you know, the, the backside of the racetrack and that's kind of a private moment. Um, all those things that happen on when I get to watch the Kentucky Derby, I, I love the lead up stories. You know, I love the back stories, but I'd like to hear that all year long. I'd like to be more involved with uh, with with their stories and with their progress and frankly, transparent about their training. Absolutely. Did that happen? And, and that's what's happening in the countries that are out front in this mm. this quest to have violence free training in the, in the horse industry. That's, that's what people love and becoming a part owner of a horse is part of that. And you have a license and you can go there. You can see those backstories Mm -hmm. and you get to know your horse and rub his nose and, and talk about the things that you like about watching horses race and giving Mm -hmm. their all to get there first. It's Mm -hmm. an exciting industry and I, I'm seeing it now for the first time in my life, and I'm only too pleased to live to be 90 to see this. 
um, <laughs> because uh, because back when I was 84, it looked like racing was going to be a thing of the past in California. Yeah. Yeah, it it is pretty scary out there. Do you one thing taking on tradition? I know a lot of people say, oh "My gosh, the if you change anything now, that will diminish the accomplishments of of the earlier greats like Secretariat." If you if you change, you know the the qualifications and things like that, that it diminishes what they did. Do you think it will? That's just like saying um, we should all be driving Model T Fords. <laughs> Okay. We should never get on an airplane. Never change anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never change anything. And change is fine. We just need to change with some integrity, with mm-hmm. with a conscious effort to make it fair for everybody on the uplift. Breeding horses to go fast early has become too much of an effort. And that's when you put money up for the two-year-old and no money up for the four-year-old. Um, you need to have that four-year-old and five-year-old able to earn plenty so that they have a chance to, to bring themselves up and, and, and get to that level of earning that you, uh, you see in the, in the champions. Mm-hmm. So some people are always going to say that we shouldn't compete with horses. What do you say to those people? I say to those people, that's a that's fine you hold that all horses die then because people can't afford to keep horses if we don't do something with them to bring them into a partnership with human beings and why would you feed a horse just to stand around i mean there'll be a few people that just want a friend of a horse but tens of thousands of horses would die if you start banning all of the things that we do with horses we should make things better, not ban them. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. I'm happy to be in 2025 with the racing industry still flourishing. That's wonderful. And less horses are breaking down because you've taken care of a lot of their health issues. Older is relative because you may have not worked them as young. There's, uh, there is a different in a difference in opinion. Uh, that people think that we are being fairer to the horse. How much do you think we need to keep working to keep that maintained? Well, we need, we need to keep working globally. And uh, when I think back, in 1991, I was called to Germany to work with a horse called Lomitas for the Jacobs family. Vati Jacobs was the um, founder of Jacobs Coffee, and he had money. And this horse was going to be put down because he was absolutely impossible at the starting stalls. And I showed them how to create a training program without violence, and the horse went on to be horse of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Simon Stokes works for the grandson of Vatya Jacobs, Andreas Jacobs, and they are rewriting the record books all over mm-hmm. Europe and South Africa with the production of their horses. It is unbelievable how well they're doing. And what we have to do is keep doing well without the use of violence and let the world see it. It will work. The Jacobs family are perfect examples of that. In fact, I bought a mare here in California for $30,000, which is not a big price. She had a a foal inside of her and, and she had one later called Silvano. And he's the leading sire now of South Africa for the Jacobs family. 
and is worth millions and millions of dollars, and his son is now taking over from him, and they're rewriting the record books. They finished first, second, and third in the Derby recently. So, you know, I just give so much credit to those people who will be the names in the future that go down. Simon Stokes it was a jump jockey. He rode steeplechase horses, and he learned my concepts and threw the whips away. Mm-hmm. And Simon Stokes, to me, is one of the leading horsemen of the world today. And he is revered by the Jacobs family, and he calls all the shots. And I go there every November to start the babies and to congratulate them on, on the success that they've been. Mm-hmm. We just have to keep making examples of what it is to create horses without violence. Mm. Well, that's really fun. Thank you for getting all that out there. I think this might be a fun exercise for other influencers in the racing industry who who appreciate horses and want to be fair to horses. So I thank you for your opinion and getting us started off in this conversation. And, yeah, and um, Debbie, there's a, there's a lot of them out there. There are a lot of people out there that feel the way I do. But I know how they feel to come public with it because the public will shoot you down. That is to say the public within the industry, the traditional trainers will will cut your throat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's starting now in 2025. That's starting to be a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. And what a dream it is for me to be able to sit here and see that. That's wonderful. Well, the media is the one who really educates the public on the professionals who are encouraging fair treatment of horses and, uh, you know, the the sports masseuses and the behaviorists out there, the ones that are kind of in the background right now. So maybe the media will get more involved in giving highlights and kudos to our greater talents in this area and raise the the uh, consciousness of of those that are treating horses more fairly and uh, maybe downplay some of these rock star trainers who have not yeah. been involved in the in the changing of these traditions. So thanks. Well, let's Is, let's watch the races at Santa Anita now. Yeah, that's true. Anything <laughs> else you want to say to those fans out there who were dying to hear your opinion? Oh, I think I've given enough of my opinions, and right. um, I just wish everybody the best and. Just take a breath and think about this business of being kind to the animals that we know we love and we expect them to perform for us only because they want to. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us on Horsemanship Radio. You're welcome. Cavallo horse and rider, Carol and Greg Giles, too, have been longtime supporters of the Horsemanship Radio, and we thought, you know what better way to show how their support goes than through the people who buy their boots? So we have this from Brenna Eldridge on a Facebook post. I could not be happier with my decision to transition my horse to barefoot and choosing Cavallo for his hoof protection. I always thought my horse just had bad feet and that he would always be lame barefoot until I realized that I was enabling that dependency. By allowing his feet to adapt back to the way that they were naturally intended, his feet have become strong and he now seems perfectly comfortable barefoot. 
With the added weight of a rider on rough terrain, I invested in my first pair of Cavallo boots. I went with the Trek boots, and they fit in perfectly. I was able to do anything that I could do in metal shoes, and I have no longer stress over him losing a metal shoe and damaging his hoof when removed. The Cavallo boots have provided him greater shock absorbencies when riding on hard ground, and so far, whether it be on trails or in the arena, he seems extremely comfortable in his boots. I do a variety of riding, including trails, gaming, and drill, and I'm excited to get into the gaming season to put truly those boots to test. I believe that in horsemanship, you have to pick methods that make the most sense to you. And for me, that is the naturality of barefoot and the protection of the Cavallo boots. Brenna. In 1978, Ada became the first woman farrier licensed to shoe thoroughbred racehorses in the United States and Canada. Her unique status gave her great opportunities, including guest appearances on Late Night with David Letterman, What's My Line, To Tell the Truth, and The Today Show. Ada has also been the subject or author of many magazine and newspaper articles. She's had a career that's amazing. Her dedication to the industry has led to many years of selfless service, including farrier liaison for the 1984 Olympic Games, official horse show inspector, horseshoe inspector for the Pasadena Tournament of Roses Parade. And she's a member of the California Thoroughbred Foundation Board of Directors. She presents in various seminars all over the United States and the world. In 2008, Ada received the Edward Martin Humanitarian Award at the American Farriers Association Convention in Lexington, Kentucky, and has been invited to serve on the Farrier Committee for the Alltech FEI World Games held in Lexington. Well, welcome back, Ada Gates. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, it's been a while since we've had you on again, but we have you on pretty regular every couple of years. And I thought, now's the perfect time to have Ada Gates back on. And I wanted to put you in the same episode with Monty because we got to talking about the thoroughbred industry. And 2019 has been pretty epic as they go. And I, you know, I know you're down there. You are you know, a Pasadena girl and have lived around the Santa Anita Park. Golly, how many years were you down by the Well, I first went there as a farrier in 1977. 77. So you have been a fab, a part of the fabric of Santa Anita Park and the thoroughbred racing industry, maybe from the hoof up for (laughs) since the seventies, which is pretty incredible. And I just thought it's time to hear from Ada. What's going on with the industry, Ada? Do you think it's salvageable? You know, what are people saying that are in your circles? And we want to know. Well, I think that this last winter was tumultuous is not even the word to describe it. And the sadness of the loss of horses is even a greater sadness. And I, I think it was just a terrible uh, moment of so much rain, mm. much, much more rain than we've ever had. And we're in a hot, dry climate. And then all of a sudden you get this deluge, and this track is not Belmont. In Belmont, they get rain all the time, but they've got, you know, six inches of sand on the top. That's why they call Belmont the Big Sandy. Mm. So all these tracks in other parts of the country can accommodate the kind of weather that we received unexpectedly this winter. And I think that it was just, they just were not able to handle it well. There was 
So it's a footing issue. Really. The footing Please. issue yeah. was terrible. And, and I think that everybody tried to do the best they could, but I think mistakes were made. Mm. And mm -hmm. that track should not have been. Mm -hmm. Do they have it corrected now? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, okay. And I know that Belinda Stronach has gone on publicly to say that they want to do everything. Is there more that we could do, Ada? No, well, I think it's great that Belinda Stronach and Santa Anita came forward and said, we're going to stop this. We're going to look at the drug issues. We're going to look at um, uh, whips and drugs and we're going to clean up whatever is perceived as abusive to horses. Whether it is or not is for the veterinarians and trainers to sort of come to a solution about. But the perception to the public is that, that it's not a good sport. But it's a high-action sport. All high-action sports have injuries. It's not uncommon for horses to break down, unfortunately. And, but I think more can be done. I know the breakdown rate has decreased immeasurably over the last 10 years. I've, I've been looking at the, at the stats like everybody else has because it's in all the press now. Mm -hmm. But I, I just think, you know, I really, you know, I believe in God. I believe that everything is a blessing. And I'm sorry that there was a sacrifice of horses, but I think the blessing is to have a new, clean, honest look at racing. And, you know, fix it or go away. Mm -hmm. Because the animal protection rights people are not going to stop standing at the gate of every racetrack in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keeps us honest. And I think that, I think the whole drug issue needs to be looked at. I've never believed in whipping a horse, ever. That, I get... I believe that because of Monty Roberts and all the things that I've learned from him. And I, I can't speak about drugs, but I don't think it's fair for a trainer who's honest, who's running a clean horse on the horse's merit. I think no drugs, no whips. End of story. Then you're all on the same level playing field and nobody has to have a magic crystal ball to figure out, mm, does that guy have an unfair edge over me or not? I just think, forget it. Just clean it all up. The horse loves to run. Mm -hmm. He's going to run to his greatest ability, and the great trainers are going to train that horse to that horse's potential. Mm -hmm. And he'll do the rest. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. I, I don't know that everybody believes that horses love to run. Oh, that's so completely untrue. They love to run. Mm -hmm. Look at them in the wild. They just mm -hmm. run for the heck of it. Mm -hmm. They're well, not running away. They're not running away. They're just running. Mm -hmm. yeah. And thoroughbreds love to run. I see the babies in the field. Absolutely. They chase each other. Absolutely. They, they beat each other. They, yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is in their blood. I know it's part of the survival system, but I don't think when they're no. three months running around yeah. after each other. Yeah. That, 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 and I love the horse that dumps its rider at the gate and then goes, runs on to win. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorites. A weight, a weight <laughs> preference there, but, but so yeah. that's another thing is the gates. When you see horses refuse at the gates, some people will say, "Well, it, maybe that's telling us that they don't love to run." Do you think that's true? No, Monty can answer that question much better than I can. Horses don't want to go in the gate because it's not because they don't want to run; it's because the gate scares them, or maybe. 
they're feeling an injury that a drug is masking. And they know that they're not ready to go because there's something bothering them. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and that's just their instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They know that they don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's because they don't want to run. They want to run, but they want to run when they're healthy and mm-hmm. fit. Mm-hmm. They don't want to get hurt either. Uh, pain, they don't want to get hurt. Huge aversion to pain. That yep. these animals, of course. Which is great. So let's go back to that stat that you said you've watched over the last 10 years that the, the catastrophic injuries and stuff have come down. Do you know what has changed or have we just been on a good cycle? I can't answer that, mm. Debbie. Don't I don't know. know why, but I think it's, I think it's a wonderful thing and I'm sure it's the veterinarian associations and the managements and the trainers all kind of moving together to create a better event, Mm -hmm. a better sport Mm -hmm. for the horse. Mm -hmm. A better trip around that track. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go to the back, do you get to the backside? Oh yeah, I go all the time. I go all the time. Mm -hmm. What's, what's the vibe? Is, is there like, we need to be collaborative or is there like circle the wagons? I think that the energy on the backstretch in the stables is still the way it always has been. You've got dedicated people working long, long, hard hours at, at complete servitude to the horse. They love these horses. These horses get care like you. I don't see in any other arena. Yeah. I mean, I don't see the kind of care that racehorses get for me, is superior to other events that horses do. And I've been in show horse barns and dressage and three-day event and Olympic horses. Yes, they get fabulous care. But I think the racehorse gets the top care of any horse I've ever seen in their, in their nutrition, in their exercise regimen, in the care of their legs, um, feet. I think the best farriers I've ever seen are right here at Santa Anita, and Del Mar in mm-hmm. Southern California, Northern California. Mm-hmm. And I believe me, I've been around the country. Yeah, you have. We have the best blacksmiths yeah. anywhere. So I'd, I'd love to talk about the thoroughbred feet in, in racing and your evolution as a farrier, too, yeah. and this international flavor that you've added to your day a little bit, too. So tell us a little bit about the ruler. The ruler that you invented, yes, is a huge help because it's um, it takes a little bit more of the guesswork out of a trim. And why did you know why did Monty have so much success with you? You must have had a formula there of shoeing horses in a way that kept them sound and or made them sound in some cases, it brought them back from not being sound. Um, I did not invent the ruler. I simply adapted what I've learned over the years and what I've learned from other people that have created rulers. and But I didn't have the ruler when I was shoeing horses, but I had Harry Patton. Harry Patton was my husband, but before he was my husband, he was my mentor. And before that, he was the head of the union. And I had to apply to him to take my test to, you know, get a license to shoe racehorses in California. And, but Harry taught me how to shoe a racehorse. And he gave me eyes. And he taught me to watch a horse walk, to see where their deviations are in their legs and in their feet. 
and with a very minute change because you have no margin for error on a racehorse. You cannot crank these horses at all. You can't crank any horse, but you can't change their feet that much. You have to get that foot right underneath that leg. And by training me to do that and by training me to help a horse not hit, you know, horses when they run 45 miles an hour, sometimes the front hits the back. The front feet hit the back feet. Yeah, clipping, clipping. So I was able to gain a reputation for fixing hitting horses. Mm -hmm. So I have to start with mentorships and training from brilliant blacksmiths. And Harry was at the top, but there were others. Mm -hmm. And then I think that you, not everybody has a mentor like Harry Patton mm -hmm. or Jay Sharp or Jim Canori or Ron Ramirez or whoever is out there training and helping people. You may not have access to them. So I think having the ruler helps you measure the foot and get an exact perfect 50-50 balance because the eye will lie to you. And if you measure a foot, you will get a perfect 50-50, 50% in front, 50% back balance on the foot. And that's what the horse wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a brilliant system. Uh, and you've packaged it nicely and beautifully. We we watched you give a demonstration today on a gypsy vanner with platter feet, um, <laughs> huge dinner plate feet, right? And the same formula applies to the big gypsy vanner. Well, he's a little little short guy, but the big feet on a gypsy vanner and a, the tiny feet on a thoroughbred. Yeah. The nice thing about measuring a foot is you're always correct. And it's teachable, it's efficient, and it's sustainable. And the horse will always have a perfect foot, no matter who is doing the horse. So everybody should be measuring feet. I don't really care how they measure them, what device they use, but it needs to be mm -hmm. that that ratio. Mm -hmm. And I shoe horses now all over the world on yeah, the telephone. Tell us about that. On the telephone. On the how telephone. Do you do that? Well, because of the phone, we can now take videos of and talk to people. Mm -hmm. And so I'll have somebody in Brazil with the ruler, and you've got the horseshoe, and you've got the translator, and you've got somebody holding your, the telephone. And I'm up in my, I'm sitting in my bed in my nightie at 3 a.m. in the morning. I don't care. And <laughs> I'm, talk, I'm talking to the horseshoe in uh, Brazil. Mm -hmm. And, and, He's got the ruler, and I'm telling him how to use it. And you have a lame horse, and 45 minutes later, you have a sound horse. Incredible. Incredible. And you can just do it all over the world, and it's great. Yeah. It's just great. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with helping the horse. Yeah. Well, it has everything to do with you in that people find you because they yeah. know that you can nail these things. Yeah. You've done it you know, a zillion times and you're trustworthy. So how do they find you? How, how does somebody say, you know, I'm down in Brazil, I'm in trouble. Oh, I got to call Hedda Gates. What? <laughs> they make that. Well, thing. I'll tell you, I have all the thanks go to Monty Roberts because I meet these people at his special training classes. I come here often for the advanced certification classes and I come and work with these students or with the participants watching Monty's special training and he very generously gives me a you know, a day. Oh, you're wonderful on, to come and do. You know, during the week. And and so we bring the horses, out. you know, we have a little class time and then we go out and do the horse. And, and a lot of people learn what they've never known before. 
They've said, I have been around horses all my life and I never knew what the horseshoer was doing. And it was always a complete mystery to me. And I don't want this to be a mystery to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hope it wasn't a mystery to some of those farriers out there too. <laughs> they were doing I know well there's a learning curve right but that's what I love about your system is that they could start off in the first year that's right and be accurate that's right that's exactly right Mm -hmm. that's Debbie you're absolutely correct Mm -hmm. and that with the Dooley halter I'll put a you know a shameless plug in there but you guys did amazing things to keep that kind of bratty little (laughs) gypsy fan you know he's just untrained he he didn't want to stand still and those big old feet were getting all over Elmer I never take a horse out of a stall without putting a dually halter on the horse. So part of my training for the horseshoer is to also train with the dually. Mm -hmm. I do that too. Mm -hmm. They appreciate it, it, don't they? Well, they do, and the horseshoer appreciates it. You can't have a horse be properly done yeah. if they're not standing well. This is what causes the impatience in a farrier, right? I mean, yeah. and I don't blame him. He's got yeah. a lot more horses to do the rest of the day for other yeah. clients, and, yeah. and this is how accidents happen sometimes yeah well you guys did a lovely job on elmer did an amazing job yes he did he always says he's a very very good farrier yeah elmer jones elmer jones yeah (sighs) so how do people get a hold of you ada well they can find me through they can probably i don't know how do they find me they can call me 626-327-3650 you're lovely my cell, text. My email is adagates1, that's adagates and the number one, at gmail.com. They can find the ruler on Monty's website under, I think it's tack or accessories. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. Accessories. Yeah. They can find it at harrypatton.com. That's my blacksmith shop. We yeah. keep it in stock all the time. Of course, we manufacture it. Right. And the price is $35. It's very inexpensive. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's, um, yeah, it really and, gets and the job done. Anybody can have it. An owner, a trainer, a shoer, a veterinarian. You can all be on the same page together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No matter what country you're in. That's right. <laughs> Amazing. Are you going to start to make multiple language instructions? For I'm thing? working on it now. We did We did a film today in Portuguese. That's true, you did. Thanks to you. Yeah. And Miguel Lupiano and Elmer was here and Monty helped mm-hmm. because we had a horse that was a little fractious. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was in Portuguese. Love it. Good. Love it. We can't speak it, but we love it. No, right? but they'll know it. <laughs> yeah, they'll know it. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate Thank you, you being Debbie. here with me today. And, you know, go Santa Anita, go racing, yeah. clean up our act. Let's, yeah. let's keep it alive, eh? I think so. I think so. It's too great a sport. And, and the horses love it. And I, I just think it's wonderful. And I think you're right. I think in a few years we'll find the grandstands filled to the hilt. Yeah. And we will have made those changes. That's right. Thanks, Ada. Thank you, Debbie. My honor. My honor and my pleasure. Thank you. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place and learn the magic in the language of the Dear Monty, why do you do your join-up demonstrations using an English saddle and never a Western? Is that why lots of cowboys think join-up is for dressage queens? Monty's answer. 
There are many reasons why the saddle that I choose to use for my demonstrations has evolved to its present form. It is not an English saddle. It is not a military saddle. It is not a Western saddle. It is a modified exercise saddle of the kind used on most thoroughbred racehorses for morning workouts. The saddle I've chosen has practically no tree at all. As you might imagine, I travel the world doing my demonstrations. I deal with horses of all sizes and shapes. And if I had a full tree in the saddle, it would be virtually impossible to cause it to fit the wide array of horses that I work with. I buy these exercise saddles from a company that provides them for the racing industry. Once the saddle is in my possession, I then take it to one of the saddlers who have been trained to make the modifications I've designed. The first thing they do is replace the billet straps, those straps that the girth connects to on each side of the saddle. They attach billets about three times the length of the original ones. This allows me to use a very short girth, which will fit a tiny horse or pony when it's taken up on top on both sides. If the girth is attached to the longest notches, then it will fit even a big draft horse. I use a soft girth with elastic on the offside connection. While the saddler is replacing the billets, he builds into the front of the saddle a special handhold similar to the one you might see on a bareback bronc rigging. This allows my riders to remain in the saddle even through sessions of bucking. D-rings are attached to three strategic locations. One is at the extreme rear portion of the saddle and two more placed in the front of the saddle about eight inches or so from the pommel. The rear one is part of the attachment for the mannequin rider that I use on horses that want a buck. The two in the front will allow me to attach a breast collar so that the saddle can't slide back. It is true that my riders can feel the horse and use leg aids that are more difficult to achieve with a western saddle, but the primary reason why I use this type of saddle is that it is light in weight. If I traveled the world with a western saddle, the airlines would be levying thousands of dollars of overweight charges. The inconvenience of the size would also be a factor, and as I have already mentioned, fitting all the horses I deal with would be virtually impossible. To answer the question in full, please let me assure you that the dressage people of the world ask me why I don't use a dressage saddle, while the Western people inquire why I don't have my riders use that sort of equipment. It has nothing to do with dressage, Western, or English. It is a saddle that has been especially adapted to dealing with horses being started or remedial horses across the spectrum of size, breed, and discipline. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says Get free horse tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. He starts off September 14 and 15 in Hungary at the Lovis Academia Sports Club. And September 29, he hops over to Scotland. He'll be at the Scottish National Equestrian Center in Oatridge. Then October 12th, he'll be on tour at Hadlow College. 
That's in the UK. And October 18th, he stays in the UK, goes on to Hartbury College. That's in Hartbury. Then October 20, he'll be at Myers Co. College in Billsboro. Then he he's working for some private training in between in Germany, but then he'll end up November 16 in Warsaw, Poland, doing a big tour event there. It's almost sold out, too, so it's going to be pretty amazing. May end up doing a second day. And then he wraps up at home, barely in time for Turkey. At the Horses and Healing will be December 13 through 15, and that wraps up 2019. It's a whirlwind tour through the fall, isn't it? It's a lot of days, you bet. It's a lot of days. You can find all of that and so much more at MontyRoberts.com. That's the website. Or you can call Flag is Up Farms and talk to someone who is pleasant and knowledgeable at 805-688-6288. And that phone number can also be found on the website, MontyRoberts.com. That's true. <laughs> See, that's something my mom would do. She would go to the website and get the phone number and then call you on the phone. Yeah. It works. <laughs> it works. For details about today's show, episode 142, go to horsemanshipradio.com and you're going to find links, photos, and more information about today's guests and topics. And we love your feedback. Debbie is always looking for great new ideas, fascinating Mm -hmm. horsemen to talk to, etc., etc. And you can let Debbie know about that sort of stuff on Monty's Facebook page, which is Monty Roberts. It's the one with the little blue check mark. It's the official page. You can also communicate and chat with... Monty Roberts by going to Twitter, Monty underscore Roberts, or Instagram, Monty underscore Roberts. Woo-hoo. For pretty pictures. That's pretty right. Pictures, best. We all speak through pictures these days. <laughs> we're, we're devolving language-wise. We're going to be back to hieroglyphs <laughs> really soon. I like that. I like it. Yeah, there we go. And to get the Horse Radio Network app, that way you'll never miss an episode of Horsemanship Radio or any other Horse Radio Network show, take your phone. Go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network, and download it today. It's free and easy to use. Help your friends who are a little bit less tech-savvy do it. Or if you're the less tech-savvy person, go find a nine-year-old. They all know how to do it. (laughs) They do, huh? They're probably listening to podcasts now. It's so pervasive. I love it. Yeah. And thank you to our sponsors. They've been our sponsors for years, and they understood podcasts before most everybody else did. Thank you for Omega Fields. Supplements, omega threes, and for Cavallo, horse and rider. Love those boots. boots. Oh, boots are uh, the thing. They their Velcro would pull trailers. It's amazing. <laughs> and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. He is the reason for being. Be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs>